Thank you, thank you. And I actually had slides prepared for the message today, you know? So what I've learned is just don't even try, you know? <laughs> just, just, wait, I, no, wait, I, I should try, try more, better. Um, I also think for the first time, I'm gonna get a little vulnerable, is that okay? For the first time that we've been meeting here in the Leaping Lizard, I used the restroom in the middle of the service. <laughs> and it's awkward, you know? That bright light that says, hey, I'm going here. Uh, in the future, we're gonna try to get a, a more complicated color thing to indicate, you know, number one or number two. <laughs> Just so we're family here. I feel refreshed and ready to talk now, so. Um, <laughs> if your life was a movie, which they're probably gonna make a movie about your life, right? Like most of us, like, there's a lot of movies being made now. Um, if they were making a movie about your life, if your life was a movie, what would be your montage moment? You know what a montage is? Yes, Rocky is the classic example. That's exactly what I think about. You know, you get the music, you get a bunch of scenes going on. Um, montages are actually play an important um, storytelling device in movies. They allow us to see a bunch of things very quickly. They allow time to pass. Uh, so we're not like sitting there for six months while Rocky trains, right? We're allowed to see it very quickly. They're allowed to uh, help to convey a lot of information. And they also help to show and reveal character transformation, character development that is going on, right? So you can see Rocky getting into shape. He's, he's um, you know, finally locked in. He's choosing what he's going to do. He's all about it. He's training. He's becoming the person that's ready to go into the fight that is coming his way. What would be your montage moment? You probably have several uh, throughout the course of your life. But this season right now, if you were to think like, what's the montage of this season of life for you? What is your life like? How are you spending your time? What is the goal that you are pursuing? What are you becoming? Maybe you're not training like Rocky and punching raw meat, frozen meat. Is it raw or frozen? Frozen. But what are you preparing for? What are you becoming the reason that I'm setting up our talk this way for today is because we're going to look at a short passage of scripture, and to me, this passage always reads like a montage moment. It's just a couple sentences at the very end of Acts chapter 2, um, but it's kind of this montage moment, this scene for the early church, what their way of life was like, and how they lived it out, and who they were becoming. And so, if you were here uh, a couple of months ago at our gathering in May, or if you weren't, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of context, but I want to set the stage. But Joe uh, talked that day, and it was Pentecost Sunday, which is this moment that we celebrate where we look back to really what we think of as the birth of the church. 
uh, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on this ragtag group of, of Jesus followers hiding in a, a room praying, um, the Holy Spirit was poured out in this significant and powerful way, and it would shape the trajectory for everything that was to come for the future of the church, where they were going, who they were becoming, how they were going to live. And then what we see at the end of Acts is really their response to that moment. And so what we see and what I want to remind us is when we look at Acts, everything that we read is happening in the context of mission. Everything that we read in Acts is happening in the context of mission. Because at the very beginning, in the first chapter, Jesus shows up. Surprise, I'm alive. He, he totally shocks the world and most of all his followers uh, he, he shocks them, he invites them in, and he lets them know, I've got a plan for this message to go out to the entire earth. And he sends them out as, as his messages. He tells them that they're going to be his witnesses. And basically the plan is that every person on earth will come to hear this message, and hopefully the goal is to be reconciled into the family of God, to be reconciled to the love of the Father. And the reason he's doing all of this is because God loves us so much. So everything that we read after this point is happening in the context of the mission that Jesus sends this uh, new group of followers out. And when the Spirit moved in that first group of believers on the day of Pentecost, the language barrier was broken down, pulling all of these people from different countries and cultures all around the world into this new family. And we learned that over 3,000 people believed and joined into this brand new movement. So there's a lot of things that are happening really fast when we start reading Acts. There's like boom, 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 it's just going and going. And one of the things that we learned is that we can experience God's presence, God's presence through the Holy Spirit in a tangible, real way. You know, uh, Jay Pathak shared the story that Joe um, uh, shared in his talk uh, about the guy from the Alpha Course saying, this is real. This is real like gravity is real. There was something going on and he was tapping into it. And from there, the question then is how do we respond? We talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, about having encounters, about having these experiences, maybe in worship, maybe in a gathering, maybe in our house groups or prayer dudes or chicks. It can happen anywhere. But one of the questions that I want to ask today is, why? Why do we have these spiritual encounters? Why does sometimes it seems like God pours out his spirit in a, in a more powerful way or a more tangible way or we can, we can hear his voice in a more clear way? A lot of times it's really normal, it's really quiet, it's really peaceful. Sometimes there's those moments that just draw us in and wreck our worlds and completely change our whole trajectory. So how do we respond? I'm going to go back to Acts uh, chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 36. Sorry, it's not on the screen. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, but if you remember, this is all happening, and all these people are coming to hear what's going on. All, all these people from all these different languages are hearing the, the people talk in their own language. So there's kind of this miracle of languages, translation, uh, something is happening. 
And Peter stands up and he gives this, this uh, message. And after that, this is what we read starting in verse 36. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. God has made this Jesus, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? If this is true... What should we do? How are we supposed to respond? What do we do? We've had this experience, and now what? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the context where all of this is happening, and the question which I love is the question that we should always be asking when we have a spiritual encounter, is how do we respond What do we do now? God, why are you sharing this with me? What what does this do in my life, in my heart? How am I uh, changed? Is there something new that I'm being invited into? How do we respond? And now here's the montage. This is Acts uh, 42. This is how this new group, this, this early church that was just forming and figuring it out, this is how they responded. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you get that montage feel? You see, there's these big events that are happening. Boom, Jesus is back to life. Jesus is sharing with them, teaching them about the kingdom. Jesus is sending them out on their mission and ascending into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes. Boom, 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 big encounters. And then we kind of get this pause of like, and now this is how they started living. This was their response to the power of God being poured out to them, uh, on them to fulfill the mission that Jesus had given them. And... Just to make things really fun, over 3,000 new people joined the family in one day. How on earth, have you met people? How on earth is a group of over 3,000 supposed to figure out how to live and, and have everything in common and be one? 
I think it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh, that's why it's poured out. But what's striking me as we, as we think about this as a montage, as a, as a glimpse of the church's way of life in this season, and I do want to mention that this was a season of the church. Sometimes we can like overly uh, become idealistic about this and be like, this is how it always has to be for every believer now uh, for the, the, the rest of history. But this was a season, this was how they responded, and we see it unfolding in Acts. We see it get really messy. We see it get really good. We see them figure things out, and we see them make a ton of mistakes. <laughs> this is just how life goes when people are involved, even the people of God. They're trying to figure it out. They're trying to respond. But the thing that sticks out to me in this is just kind of how simple and ordinary it feels, right? I mean, there's a lot of amazing things that are happening, but, but their way of life, the way that they respond is by hanging out together, by listening to the apostles' teaching, by eating, by praying. Kind of feels like there should be some better like strategic plan or something, right? <laughs> uh, I don't even know if they had any charts or graphs at this point. No spreadsheets. Def definitely, definitely no, no PowerPoint. Um, Rich Viotis, who's a pastor in New York and an author wrote, who's written some awesome books, um, he tweeted this a few weeks ago, and it's just really stuck with me, and I think kind of gets at the heart of what I'm feeling in this moment, is that he says, the challenge with the book of Acts is that we forget to live between the chapters and verses. Between all the miraculous stuff, there were ordinary, regular moments of prayer community building and service. Perhaps all of the miraculous stuff is preceded by a commitment to ordinary stuff. Ordinary precedes extraordinary. Simplicity and awe and wonder. The mundane, basic things of life every day with people, the mess, and the mystery the joy, the gladness, all of that is happening as we read uh, the book of Acts. And the interesting thing is that most scholars think that the, the story that unfolds in Acts, the Chronicles, it happens over the course of about 30 to 40 years. So we read this and we think this was happening every day. Boom, boom, boom. And a lot did happen in that first <laughs> uh, few months. But then it starts to unfold. And there's this commitment to living this way of life that just happens over time. It's the commitment to the ordinary things. And in the middle of that, they have these moments that come and just change everything. So what do we learn from the early church as that movement launched uh, over 2,000 years ago? Quick question before we address that. If there was a historian right now watching Vineyard Covington, what would our montage moment be? If we had two sentences to describe the way that all of us in this group, and if you're not uh, a part of this family, that's okay. Um, but how would, how would somebody describe our way of life? What stands out to you? I have my own ideas. Um, but I love the things that 
that Joe was just talking about, that Luke and Avery were sharing their experience. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I'm biased because it's, it's our church, but I think that there's a lot of things that we see happening in the Bible taking place, which is very exciting. Um, but I want to dive into this for just the rest of our time together. I just want to look at these a few verses, break down a couple things, and then we're going to respond, we're going to receive communion together, and we're going to pray. The biggest thing that stands out to me it actually comes in that first sentence in verse 42. And it starts within the first few words. It says that they devoted themselves. They were devoted. If there was one word to describe their way of life, the way that they responded to everything that was happening uh, through the Holy Spirit and, and from Jesus, is, it was devotion, commitment. Um, they gave this thing everything that they had. And specifically, it talks about um, four things that they were devoted to. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to um, the fellowship or common life together, community. They were devoted to the, the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so I just want to give a, a couple a couple thoughts on each of these things. You could probably do a whole sermon series and spend um, a week on each one, but what are you devoted to? Uh, maybe another way of asking that would be, to whom are you devoted? Who are the people in your life that you're all in, that you're committed with? Do you have community like that? The first thing that we read is that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And I think maybe another way of saying this is that they were devoted to living out what Jesus said. Because if you think about who the apostles were and what they were teaching, they were the guys who had been with Jesus. They were the ones who had spent three years walking around, traveling around, learning his way of life. They were the ones that got to hang out with him when he came back from the dead and he spent 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God. If there were people like that in our community right now, I think I would want to be around them hearing everything that they had to say. Tell me the stories about Jesus. Tell me that time he did this thing. Tell me that time he walked on the water and you were all totally freaked out. Tell me about the time he taught on the mountain. Tell me about the time he fed 5,000 people. I would want to hear all of those stories. I would want to soak everything up. But the thing that even more than just hearing the stories, even more than just listening to teaching, what I think is really implied here is that they were devoted to putting those teachings into practice. Remember Matthew 28, Jesus, when he sent out the disciples, he said, um, go out, train all of the people that you meet everywhere in, in my way of life, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. This is one of the reasons that in a lot of our house groups we've been uh, trying the DBS format a lot more, which is a obedience-based Bible study. One thing that Christians are really good at is reading the Bible and talking about our opinions and talking about our opinions and arguing about our opinions, and debating our opinions, and judging others for their opinions, and then feeling really good about our opinions. 
Have you experienced that before? Not in our house groups, of course. But. What if we devoted ourselves to actually obeying the things that Jesus said? Not just listening, not just hearing, but actually doing it. Trying it out. Putting it into practice. And of course, a part of this is just getting to know Jesus. The early church, they had, they had this idea of, of knowing Christ, of learning Christ, like actually getting to know him in order to be transformed by him and putting it into practice. So they were devoted to that teaching, and it all came around this idea that, that Peter mentioned earlier, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. That is the uniting factor. Okay, next, they were devoted to community. They were devoted to Jesus, to, to learning uh, his way of life, to, to becoming like him, to doing the stuff that he did. And they were also devoted to one another. You know, Jesus said that the greatest love was to lay down our life for our friends. And I was confronted with this uh, earlier in the year in this uh, cohort thing that I'm in. How many people in my life, how many friends... Am I actually willing, would I actually be willing to lay down my life for? And probably not in like a sacrificial be killed for way, but even just a laying down my own preferences, my own comfort, my own, uh, how I use my time, my resources. You know, one of the, the things that is so remarkable about this is that they were devoted to each other so much that they would sell property and possessions to meet any need of other people in the community. That is a devotion that doesn't make any sense in our uh, consumer individualized economy. But they really believed that God was making a new family and that they were invited to be a part of it. This is something that we talk about a lot in Vineyard Covington, that, that we are a family on mission, that we are called out for a purpose and we want to commit to each other as we walk out that way. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes it like this. For he, Jesus, he himself is our peace, who has made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And he's specifically talking about Jewish people and Gentiles in, in this context about people who were, you know, kind of the chosen ones of God and those that were on the outside. And in verse 17, it says, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, this whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. These are pretty significant, powerful words. Again, if we hear this message, if we have an experience with the Spirit and with community, the question is, how do we respond? How do we devote ourselves to this kind of vision of community? This kind of devotion and commitment. With this idea, we can't, we can't even think of ourselves as individual parts, separated from one another. Because the whole plan was in Jesus for God to, to unite all things, to make us one being, one house that's being built together to be filled with the Holy Spirit so God can dwell in and among us. All right, you guys still with me? We got two minutes, and I'm going to speed up a little. Um, or we got two more uh, things. The next one is easy. We talk about it a lot. But they committed themselves to the breaking of bread. This is my spiritual gift for sure. I eat almost every day. No, every day I eat. <laughs> but here's the thing that I want to say. It talks about the breaking of bread. And it also talks later that they shared their meals together in their homes every day with glad and uh, sincere hearts or, or simplicity, it, other translations say. So there's this idea that they were committed not just to each other, but to sharing meals around the table. And this most definitely pointed directly to the Lord's Supper, you know, where Christ, his, his presence uh, was revealed in the breaking of bread and sharing the cup. This was the way that he gave us uh, to remember him and to live out uh, our understanding of who he is and, and his kingdom. So it definitely included that, but it was also so much more. It was, it was their meals together. Some people believe that they had the Lord's Supper in the morning, and then they shared meals together in the evening. They had these feasts, and they would invite everybody to be a part of it. Um, and it got really messy, and they did it wrong a whole bunch. But they were committed to life around the table. And for us, I'm, I'm so convinced if there was one thing that we could commit to in terms of mission and hospitality and community, if it was life around the table... I think it would change a lot, not just with one another, but with the people in our neighborhoods, with the people outside who haven't experienced community, with the people who, who are still looking for those spiritual experiences or wondering how to respond to those experiences. And then the last one is they were devoted to prayer or to the prayers. And I'm not going to talk about that because Joe's the prayer guy, so... I'm not allowed to talk about prayer. Is that, actually, can I do it? Okay. Uh, but prayer is a big deal for us in Vineyard Covington. At one of our very first vision strategic meetings, we, um, we committed as a team that we wanted to make prayer at the center of everything that we do. And we've been trying to figure out how to, how to do that, how to live that out. We have a lot of prayer rhythms. We have the prayer room. We've been doing Friday prayer at the park. Um, we have our prayer groups. Prayer happens in everything that we do because it is so essential. And I don't know exactly what they were praying, how they were praying, but my guess is that they were praying the way that Jesus taught them to pray, right? 
something like our Father who's in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And saying that prayer while you're sharing bread with somebody is really powerful. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. N.T. Wright says, and I lost the quote, but it's a good one. Whenever people do all of these things, the the other things that the, the apostles were committed to, but neglect prayer, they are quite simply forgetting that Christians are supposed to be heaven and earth people. Prayer makes no sense whatsoever unless heaven and earth are designed to be joined together and we can share in that already. So when we pray, we are literally joining in with heaven and earth being connected to see his kingdom come. It's powerful stuff. We were having a discussion in our our men's uh, Bible study a couple weeks ago about like is prayer even important a good question to ask we we like to wrestle with with these questions because if we're committing our lives to them we should probably believe in them that doesn't mean that we will go through seasons where we're not feeling it because we're committed to this way of life but but like why do we even have to do it if Jesus is kind of doing all the work and he's the one that's you know uniting all things then like What's our purpose in that? And I think that in this context, that's exactly how I think about it. We get to join Jesus in inviting heaven. It's power. It's it's making all things right, setting everything back to new, restoring, redeeming, healing. We get to invite that power into our everyday lives, into the brokenness. So this is the snapshot. This is the montage moment of how the early church lived. And my question for us today is, how do we respond? How do we respond to the spiritual experiences that we've had? And whether you're a believer, whether you've committed your life to Jesus or not, a lot of people are asking that same question because we've all had spiritual experiences. We've all had encounters with something that's bigger than ourselves, and we we might not know how to explain it. We might not have language for it. But the question is always, what does this mean? What do I do with this? How do I respond? And one more quick plug for Alpha. If you have people in your life that are asking those questions, if you're having spiritual conversations, uh, gospel conversations, Alpha is the perfect place to invite them because it's a place to bring our questions, to stay curious, and to learn. But how do we respond? How do we alter our way of life to be in alignment with this reality that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and God has made him Lord and King? What are you devoted to? What are the practices in your life that you're committed to? Who are the people that you are committed to? It sounds kind of cliche because I think we talk about it a lot, but we have to constantly remember 
that the church is the people. It's not a place, it's not a service that we go to, it's not this other organization, but we are the church. When we're inviting people to church, we're inviting them into our lives, into this new family that God is making.